Welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. We are taking a break from our normal episodes to bring you a sneak preview of a new podcast that will be launching soon. It's called Sharp Rocks and Dead Things, an Anthro 101 podcast where Emily Siebold and I will be talking about all things anthropology, archaeology, and history. On this episode, we'll be discussing the history, implications, and the art of osteomancy. Please enjoy the sneak preview of Sharp Rocks and Dead Things, brought to you by Under the Pendulum. Welcome to Sharp Rocks and Dead Things, a fun intro into everything anthro. And we are your hosts. I'm Emily Siebold. And I'm Chris Weber. I'm an anthropologist and an archaeologist. And I'm a historian and a literary. We're passionate students, so let us share with you what we know. Oh, the things you will learn. In today's episode, we are burning bones and conjuring crones. Oh, I don't know about that. We are flaming femurs and calling the corners. No, not doing that. We're barbecuing shoulder blades and inviting all the spirits. That sounds pretty good. Yeah? Like that one? <laughs> yeah. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> so in today's show, we are talking about the ancient practice of osteomancy, sometimes called scapulomancy, after the bone most used in the practice. That's right. This form of divination, or fortune-telling, 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 dates back thousands of years. But first, Chris, what is the term of the day? Well, now I'll tell you that term of the day. Man, you accidentally make an accent once and you live in that forever. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's just, yep. That's what happens, yeah. Yep. Just the natural cycle of things, I guess. <laughs> so the word of the day is uh, taphonomy, which is the study of the processes affecting materials after death and deposition. The after goo that you do goo. <laughs> uh, so would you have like a an example maybe? Well, one thing in here would be like um, what they do with the bones to prepare them after for the ritual after the animal is dead mm -hmm. would probably fit into that category for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But otherwise, I would say it's uh, you're talking about like, you know, the chemical processes and bacteria's involvement and in how um, flesh breaks down in the soil. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh. Very cool. Very cool line of study. Get in on that, children. <laughs> so I guess before we uh, dive into osteomancy and, and where <laughs> it is and what it does and, and what we try to get out of it, we should probably talk a little bit about divination. Yes. Divination is a very important concept in the ancient world. Absolutely. This was mm. back before, you know, humans had like solid scientific methods for, for doing a lot of things. So things like divination... Were, were things that were relied on for lots of different things in life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and there are many reasons why ancient peoples would have done it. I was reading a paper by a scholar named Barbara Tedlock, and I liked how she kind of defined divination. Uh, quote, It is a way of exploring the unknown in order to elicit answers, that is, oracles, to questions beyond the range of ordinary human understanding. Unquote. So it's 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 this quest to access that which is normally inaccessible to humans, um, usually information. So some form of divination was practiced by almost every culture around the world, which is such a integral part of ancient life, especially yeah. in a community. Yeah. Ancient religions, um, spirituality. Yeah. Very important concept in all of these. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that's the point, right? It's it's trying to talk 
to whatever higher power there is. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to call on mm -hmm. the on the powers that be in some way to mm -hmm. to tell you what to do. Yeah, it's it's sort of like, you know, trying to uh it's like kind of inclusive, right? It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like slipping a twenty and being like, Hey, you can get me in, right? You can I think that's just called a bribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well actually it is. I mean, actually you sometimes could think of it as a, a sacrifice bribe. might be a bribe. Sacrifice yeah. or um, you know, the burning of incense and, mm -hmm. you know, other you know, other materials that might, you know, kind of yeah, kind of like appease the gods satiate the gods satiate them goddies <laughs> yeah so you know again you know people use divination to talk to gods or the spirits or maybe to try to gleam into the future or to answer questions about the past and the present you know sometimes it would even be these incredibly mundane questions you know that were it's it's what course of action would you take in any given situation which is a very commonplace um way to use divination it's like should I go down road, the road to the left or the road, road to the right? Yeah. Yeah. And you could see how that would be useful later on in, in, in cities, but also would have started out as something like picking migration routes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, well, the last time we went down this road, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. Should we go down this road again? Or should we try out a new road? You know, <laughs> let's cut open this goat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I guess on, on the flip side on that, you know, divination was also used as a tool for the powerful. Um, in many cases, a specific priestly class would often be the ones who could interpret the divinations. And oh, yeah. this, of course, would be used to their, their advantage, but also the advantage of like a ruler or a ruling class or to keep a dynasty in power. Because if you get the people to believe that you are the only ones who can interpret the answers of the gods or spirits and that you have that authority, you are automatically closer to the sources that are beyond human understanding. Yeah, so an example of that in modern times would be like the Pope. He's, he's a guy who, in his particular religion, has a connection and authority to higher powers that other people don't have. So that's just a modern day example. Yeah, and, and I mean, even modern day shamans are, are I mean, that, that's sort of a more, yeah. that's a more essential um, version of it, I think. It, it, that really gets down to like how it would have been in the ancient world. Yeah, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, Catholicism isn't super ancient. N no. But <laughs> this practice is, and divination is, and, you know, powerful divining authority figures definitely is an ancient practice. Yeah, and then when you have like the authority figures, you know, uh, in of a community sort of organizing the community around said rituals and said divination practices, I mean, that... To do that, that necessitates the work and the devotion of the populace to make it happen. So yeah. it's sort of another way to kind of exert power over a group. Yep. Definitely part of the power play mm -hmm. um, comes into the, the class and other things that we use to divide up mankind, no matter how happy we are, no yep. matter where we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's, God, there's so many ways to do it. You know, I mean, using water, like, you know, like a dowsing rod kind of comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Crystal gazing, reading natural omens, which is a really big one uh, that, that I read a lot when reading a lot about ancient Rome um, during the Republic years, even after too. But like natural omens, like, um, you know, it rained during uh you know like it just rained at maybe an auspicious time or maybe so like, like it's like rain on your wedding day yeah. they're like it's too <laughs> ironic can't do it today 
Yep. Yeah, or like, you know, or, or an eagle drops a dead dead animal in front of you. You know, that could be as a, a, a sign Yeah, I might take that omen. as an omen. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen to me often. Yeah, I mean, it also, you know, like taking mind-altering substances and analyzing dreams. I mean, it just goes on and on the ways that divination can be yeah. practiced. And then, of course, tarot cards. Tarot cards are oh, popular yeah. in ancient times, popular now. Um, you know, work off a few most mathematical variables and you know it's it's interesting it's an interesting game so yeah divination is pretty cool and you can find a way to divinate in any way or shape or form that you would like really yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's just it's just an endless way of of doing it um and another popular one would be reading bones and that brings us to our topic today osteomancy exactly so using bones and divination is ultimately another form of using animals to discern answers given during divination readings. So, for example, uh, sacrificing an animal, cutting it open and analyzing the liver or, or some other organ was a, a really commonplace practice of divination. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that one for mm-hmm. sure. So, specifically the liver. It's 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 one you see. Huh? It's one you see pop up in a lot of um, texts like primary source texts. Is it because drunk goats give the best fortunes? <laughs> I, you know, I think it. I think it might. I don't know exactly for sure why. I might have read about it a long time ago and, and forgotten. But I think one thing it might be how the variation of the of the liver, uh, you know, like how it can look, what kind of color it could be. I, I it Interesting. Depends on diet. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things that could really. I haven't influence. looked at enough livers apparently. Yeah, I. I mean, that's sort of my my theory just from not quite remembering <laughs> well we have a new hobby we're gonna go look at livers yeah yep <laughs> for science <laughs> so i mean yeah but let's get to the bones let's get to the bones of this <laughs> <laughs> all right so i want to break down osteomancy for you uh it comes from the greek osteon which means bones and mancy which is a specified kind of divination. Necromancy, geomancy, pyromancy, bibliomancy. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah a, a ton of different we ones. We go on and on. <laughs> there's, a, there's one I'll be mentioning later, and I hope I can pronounce it because it's a <laughs> weird one. <laughs> awesome. Well, scapulomancy is, the, is our pinpoint for today. And this kind of divination is specific to the scapula, which is the technical terminology for your shoulder blade Mm -hmm. or the shoulder blade of most mammals. Because of this use of fire, it is sometimes associated with pyromancy, seeking divination through fire. Uh, And pyromancy is an aspect of this kind of divination, but there's also other kinds of pyromancy. Mm -hmm. So rune type images are called pictographs are etched or burned onto the scapula. And the scapula is then placed over the fire or other heat source. It's introduced to the heat source at that moment. Mm-hmm. And as it burns, it releases lipids and other fluids from the bones, and the thinnest parts are most likely to crack first. The crack caused by the fire is used to determine which pictograph was divinely chosen and thus what answer the fire gave. This type of divination has been used for everything from choosing paths of seasonal migration to determining criminal accountability. (laughs) These divination practices are procedures performed by diviners, and these people have various community standings sometimes, uh, judge, jury, and doctor. A shaman, as we mentioned earlier, is a type of diviner. God, I mean, that's, um, trying to think of that, like you're, 
you committed a crime and you're waiting for sentencing and it just all relies on how this bone yeah. cracks. The judge <laughs> comes in with his big hot poker and slams it through a shoulder blade. <laughs> wow, now that would make a really different sound bite for Law & Order, now wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess we should talk a little bit about like who and where and why, you know, like who did this? Who, who, where do we find the most evidence? Okay, so the earliest examples of writing in China around 1600 BC during the Shang Dynasty. These were this was like the earliest examples of Chinese writing, and those were developed from the oracle bone pictographs. Ox scapula were the most common used for this because they're large and they're broad and flat. And in ancient China, the practice involved the use of a hot poker. The scapula were cleaned, and then the hot poker was stuck into the bone, and the cracks that radiated off the poker were used in divination. The language that developed from these, from this old Cintic also holds clues about the past development. In this language, the name of the symbol for the oracle bone divination, which is pictorially represented as a heat-stressed bone, is an onomatopoeia, which is a word that is derived from a real natural sound. The, world, the word is pu or pu, which does kind of sound like the cracking or popping sure, of a bone in sure. a fire. And, and they also used to actually just kind of hold it over a fire as well, I believe, right? Um, yeah, some practices like held it over a flame and watched it crack. And then some practices like this one um, were were specific to the hot poker and what sure. came off of that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess the idea in both is just to put it under extreme heat stress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Turtle shells were also used when cattle weren't That's available. Right. Mm -hmm. And I came across a fun <laughs> little excerpt from a Taoist tale that I feel like we can all relate to. <laughs> so, th so here's how it goes. Master Chang was fishing in the Pu River. The king of Chu dispatched two high-ranking officials to go before him with a message. He said, I wish to encumber you with the administration of my realm. So they're offering him a big schmancy job. Ooh, big man. Without turning around, Master Chang just kept holding on to his fishing rod and said, I have heard that in Chu, there is a sacred tortoise that has already been dead for 3,000 years. The king stores it in its ancestral temple inside a hamper wrapped with cloth. Do you think that this tortoise would rather be dead and have its bones preserved as objects of veneration or be alive and dragging its tail through the mud? Well, it would rather be alive dragging its tail through the mud, said the two officials. Be gone, said Master Chang. I'd rather be dragging my tail through the mud. <laughs> what? That's why his name is Master Chang. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> and that comes to us from Wandering on the Way, Early Taoist Tales and Parables of Chang Zhu. Um, and that citation will be on our page um, if you want to look at it. Yeah, along with um, all the other Along with everything sources, else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously doing very broad strokes here. So, um, you know, there's a lot more to, so to research more to and look know. into. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very cool. And that's the fun part. If you hear something here on our cursory show that you fall down a rabbit hole for, well, that just tickles me. That tickles me pink. <laughs> you are looking very pink right now. Hey. <laughs> hey. All right, Chris. Tell us about the sights. Yeah, so there's a 
couple good sites, um, some pretty big ones that you know if you if you start researching it, you'll you'll inevitably come come across these sites. And these obviously aren't the only ones. There's there's you know quite a few all over the world, but uh, these are some of the biggest ones, or the or kind of like honorable mentions. <laughs> so first, we'll talk about uh, Anyang in China. Anyang in China. So modern day Anyang was once the capital of the Shang Dynasty, like around the 1500s BC, I think, all the way up to. So it would have been the capital. Um, around about the same time that this language was developing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So what's important for our purposes today are the many oracle bones that were found um, in the city at, at a couple particular sites. Cool. Mm -hmm. So we have many records from that time as these bones often had inscriptions on them. So oracle bone inscriptions were a way to ask a question of the divine beings and receive an answer. And it kind of worked like this, like actually you had kind of already explained it. Um, you know, you but you essentially you carve a question on the bone. Usually it's a scapular turtle shell. Um, you prod it or, or heat it under fire. And as it cracks, the cracks indicate the answer to this to said question. So the diviner would interpret these cracks and thus interpret what the gods approved of or didn't approve of. And obviously that would hold a lot of power. You know, that holds a lot of significance. Yeah. <laughs> so the Shang King and a small class of diviners were the only ones who could interpret these cracks. And then they would announce the divine mandates to the people. And, uh, you know, as it would happen, I'm sure... Um, they would always have people who would decide that that this rune means that you should give him all your money. Yeah, sure. And this rune means that he gets your wife now. <laughs> There's always going to be that guy. Look give, out for that diviner. <laughs> give Chang all your property. I I don't know. I guess. Got to do with rune. Yeah, say, sorry, man. I can. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> So questions of many kinds were recorded on these bones from military and economic choices to, you know, even human sacrifices, which is a really kind of famous and somewhat debated. Right. It was like <laughs> kill Ted on Tuesday. <laughs> Don. And then, yeah, that's like, no, no, no. We should do it on Thursday. Thursday. Gosh, dang it. I already wrote down Tuesday. You know how hard it is to erase fire off a bone. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So it would be, you know, with human sacrifice, it sometimes would be how it would be performed or how many should be sacrificed. And it was just human sacrifice. Also, you know, animal sacrifices as well. Uh, one question might read, quote, should we chop 1,000 cattle and 1,000 human sacrifices for sacrifice? Or, his majesty beheaded human sacrifices. Will the spirits approve of this? So actually, And those are some mm. actual actual questions that we have actually found on some oracle bone inscriptions. Huh. So they're saying, like, should we kill 1,000 cattle and 1,000 humans? And then he said, well, we already kind of killed the humans, so is that good enough? Yeah, he's like, Will, <laughs> is that okay? Can we no, actually, already the, killed the humans? Th those, were, those? Th those were two different ones. Um, they weren't on the same same. Oh, mode. okay, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> he's like, mm, I kind of already did it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I thought you were saying this was on one. Like, that's no, pretty funny. No, no, yeah, it was just like kind of too short. Um, examples of, of ones that we found. Oh, that's um, great. And a lot of times these, you know, oracle bones were found in, found near or in tombs. Um, oh, of course. And there are some tombs where you found a massive amount of, of human, what we think might be human sacrifices, um, usually all beheaded. 
So most likely we think in some sort of systematic ritualistic way. Yeah. Um, so they would be in interned with the with the king. Yeah. Uh, upon his death. And since we're kind of talking about it, I think it's important to note that the, you know, a sacrifice has to be something important or it's not a sacrifice. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great, really great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we're thinking about like, oh, it's brutal. Why would you, you know, why would you kill this many people? Why would you kill this many cows? Why are these children? Why are these things? Why does this happen? It's because it has to be something important or mm -hmm. it doesn't count. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the... The gods don't want your yard sale items. <laughs> they want a thing you want. <laughs> and I think how... Um... You know how crazy people get with that just kind of it's the ebb and flow. Oh, yeah. Right? And we'll be back to talk about some of that another yeah. time. We love the spooky Sometimes stuff. it'll be like a bunch of people. And then it's like, oh, maybe we should just burn some incense, you know. Yeah. The gods like that. <laughs> <laughs> like they're going to revolt <laughs> if we keep killing them. <laughs> yeah. A little political power play there. Yeah. So, so I mean, um, yeah. So, so Anyang has, has quite a few sites or, or a couple of big sites that we find a lot of oracle bones um and of course those aren't the only sites um there's quite a few in china um but we'll kind of we'll kind of switch yeah tell us about the armenian one that one was really yeah neat. so actually this is sort of one that i i came across i that i um and this one is a little more it's a little more to the point hmm. mm. um and it's actually actually this one doesn't necessarily even have really pyromancy even though they have found evidence of of it so this is um, a site in Armenia, Gegarat. I guess it's like a, it's like a little town almost, I believe. But they call it the Gegarat Citadel site. So in 1998, archaeologists were studying uh, this this plain um, in central Armenia. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> That's a lot. That would take me a few minutes, a couple couple minutes with a yeah, phonetic chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really want to lose listeners quick. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so they're setting this plane in central Armenia, um, and they came across several late Bronze Age sites. So that's around 1500 to 1200 BCE, give or take. Um, as usual, we kind of think of the fall of the, the Mediterranean Bronze Age is usually, you know, 1200, 1100, or, you know, the process begins from 15 to 12. Yeah, so but this anyway. would have been right after the, the Oracle Bones uh, start the beginnings of language in China. Uh, uh, probably around the same time. About the same yeah, time, 1500, exactly. 1200 BC. I mean, yeah, and that's the thing to kind of keep in mind, right? Like we we find evidence of these practices, you know, around around this time period. But I mean, and I think you would agree, this, they go back so much farther. So far. I mean, we don't even really know how far it, it truly yeah, goes back. Yeah, if you were to tell me that this was one of the things that came with us out of Africa and the first giant human migrations or even the last giant human migrations, I, I would probably be inclined to believe it. Yeah, I, you I agree. You just find it in so many places. Yeah, and, and it gets refined and, and you know, it gets bigger as communities upon. and cities yeah. get bigger. But Again, I'm not saying it is one of those practices that were out of Africa, but it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't, su it wouldn't surprise yeah. me either. It's, it seems like a very kind of primal you know, yeah. sort of of way to, yeah. I mean, yes, there's something about to, hunting because you know yeah. you just really um, brought a living thing to a fateful end. Mm -hmm. So to use its bones to you know then go ahead and try to figure out another fateful question. I could see it. Yeah, or, or a way to try to tracking. understand the nature and the world around you. You know, like why do why do certain things happen? Like why did this flood come? Yeah. And you know. 
or yeah or why did a plague you know wipe out uh i don't know yeah just just and anything yeah so Gegarat contained three small shrines that were dedicated to the practice of divination. And we think this because of how they were kind of set up. Because usually like with a with a shrine that's used for divination, there's some sort of focal point. Um, and in this case, I think it was this this almost like this uh kind of hole in the ground with like a um like a slab on top. Um but anyway, so it's so it has this focal point, which is usually what we think of when we think it's like a shrine for divination. Okay. Um, and they found all kinds of ritual evidence, but for our purposes, they found bones from sheep, goats, and cattle, and some had been polished, some had been burned, and some had patterns etched on one side. And mm-hmm. so these were all found at all three sites. And they not only found bones that were burned, um, but they also found knuckle bones, which is used in something called astragalomancy or casting dice essentially i guess you could say astragalomancy or astragalomancy 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 if you want to you know emphasis and syllable and all that (laughs) yeah i mean it's essentially divination through through uh, casting dice um it's and it's sort of like chance in a way roots of gambling maybe i don't know i got 20 bucks the gods are gonna say no (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if that's how it started, I, w- I would also believe that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, it's it's analyzing the dice in regards to where they land in relation to one another or how the markings are in relation to, you know, the position and order of the other ones. Maybe it was upside down from your view or maybe it's to the side and it's next to this other symbol, you know, so it's just sort of analyzing, analyzing how the dice falls. Yeah, and after a while, you would notice where wherever you're placing the heat and how it would crack. Like you'd understand how it worked after you'd done it a million times. Oh, so sure. You could, but like, well, I want the answer to be this, so I'm gonna put that right there where I know the crack yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, after if if you're of that priest- house always wins. Yeah, yeah. If you're of that priestly class and you've done a couple thousand, you know, mm-hmm. osteomancy rituals you you probably know where to hit that poker yeah to get a probably. certain thing yeah <laughs> like it'll say what i want it just to on say. the off chance it doesn't do and you're just like god no no <laughs> no i look my... like a dummy oh there goes my house <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, crap the pharaoh's not gonna like this <laughs> so um yeah we also find most of the bones were from the left side of the animal which is really interesting, interesting, which kind of indicates some sort of favoring of that side or or its powers in the divination practice. Because um, at some places, I think there was one in Georgia, um, modern day Georgia, not, um, you know, um, Eastern Europe, not 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 Georgia, Georgia, not Georgia, Georgia. not Georgia, Peach, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> but um, actually, but they found a lot of those bones are actually from the right side. So it seems like it's just mm. sort of like your flavor. Of which side, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, any listeners got any insights on that? Email us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, but it is sort of that, like, you know, it's like sort of left hand, right hand path magic, yeah. you know. Sharp rocks and dead things at Gmail. Write us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those, I mean, that's just, um, those are just a couple of famous sites. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot more out there. Um, you know, we, this is a short form podcast yeah we encourage you to do your own research on this and, oh, yeah. and look into sites you'll mm-hmm. you're you're gonna love it if you love the show you're gonna love everything that yeah. you find i love bones <laughs> so this is this was like 
very cool when I yes, first we, um, we do like learned bones. about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, because I I do a uh, another podcast with my sisters called Under the Pendulum Podcast, and I actually ran into this when we did a episode. We did an episode on human sacrifice, um, which actually I believe you were. I on. was on. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I'm just kind of their uh, their in house anthro person. No, <laughs> but actually it's it's funny because we we love this stuff so much and it. You know, we don't really talk about it in the other podcasts uh, too much. So that's why we kind of decided to. Yeah, give it a try here. It is, you know, it's really interesting academic work. (laughs) You you know, you you uh, if you were a kind of a creepy teenager like we were, you you never in a million years think, oh, you know, I would write an academic paper about like death rituals or something. You know, you don't think it would be that fun, but it is that fun. It is. It can be that fun. Oh, the dead things I had in my pockets <laughs> when I was younger. Oh, same Zs. <laughs> so, um, okay, so, okay, so back to it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, like kind of bring us into the end of the episode, talking about a few of the modern implications of oracle bones yeah sure uh well as i said earlier uh chinese language it's kind of crazy to think that these little symbols from several thousand years ago ended up being one of the widely one of the most widely spoken languages in modern times that's just crazy that's mind-blowing right yeah and i I believe it's i mean uh, pretty much almost unchanged I have um, no for idea. For the most part, <laughs> like I, I think it may have gone through some variations, but actually, I think it's like very. I mean, the, I don't think the characters and things have changed much over the centuries. Yeah, um, and I don't know if we'll talk about this later. Um, I don't know much on the subject at this moment, but I know that um, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese are related languages. They are. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it would have, it would have maybe all had a, a basis in in divination at one point, which is really cool to think about yeah. something kind of well wacky let's say wacky <laughs> it's a little wacky <laughs> and it uh resulted in something extremely powerful and useful mm-hmm. like a language yeah i mean like i guess if you think about really early texts that we have or like you know de- decipherable discernible readable texts um you know obviously the the earliest ones that they're usually say are like sumerian or you know mesopotamian some of the earliest like full cohesive writings that we can actually find yeah i mean a lot of times it's economic stuff so it's kind of boring (laughs) but but i would imagine it originates in what you find in a lot of them is some sort of like some sort of appealing to a god or or spirits or gods um you know um sometimes histories of the gods um so it's really all kind of tied up into that right so i mean like it would absolutely make sense that writing systems would come out of divination practices yeah trying to figure out a system to communicate with divine powers yeah and i mean we we, we, obviously this is probably speculation on our part yeah we don't actually know but you could see how it might go that route yeah i that point a to point b isn't isn't such a rocky road you know, like it, it's it's yeah. I think that's completely probable, Um, you know, and, and besides the obvious communicate with other groups that are far off, mm-hmm. far away from you. Yeah. We also noticed while researching for this episode uh, that this is still a fairly common practice among <laughs> modern New Age pagans. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can buy kits online if you want to try it and not slaughter a whole act 
ox yourself. Yeah, right? actually, a really common one are the bone throwing kits. Bone throwing yep. kits. Now, there are modern bone throwing people who are traditional practitioners in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, make sure you're avoiding cultural appropriation if you're going to try out one of those kits, but it does sound <laughs> fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, yeah, I, I actually I think we should, that might be fun to try it sometime. Yeah, yeah, we might do, a, I don't know, Sharp Rocks and Dead Things After Dark where we like <laughs> bones on fire or something. Yeah, in a back alley throwing <laughs> in a bones. back alley, back alley Mancy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess that's kind of all we have for for this uh, episode i mean uh, you know all these episodes are going to be just kind of basically broad strokes of things that we find interesting yeah really cool stuff the cream of the crop that's what we're bringing yeah and, and we hope you know just this little peek into it will um get, inspire get you, you yeah, to, inspire you to, to read and yeah and because there's a lot of really really neat stuff especially the archaeology side of it with the oh, physical man. evidence is i love very everything neat. in anthro mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> so one of the things we wanted to do in this show is to do a review of uh, some kind of alcoholic drink because they're ancient. and Or, you know, maybe we'll come across a weird non-alcoholic a- ancient drink. We mm-hmm. do that, too. But for now, we're starting with a Irish whiskey called Sexton that is we right? are trying for the first time today. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we're mostly whiskey drinkers. We are. So I imagine we'll be coming back to whiskey quite often. I have um, heard around the water cooler and the tech circles that uh, field <laughs> archaeologists also like whiskey. <laughs> yeah, so it's an Irish malted um, whiskey. Um, it's distilled in copper pots, uh, in, in sherry casks as well. Um, and it no, is... <laughs> so what they say, as far as the flavor profile is that it has dry fruit, nuts, and honeycomb. Um, so I guess here, let's give it a little taste and it does smell see what we think. It sweet. I actually, I, I can actually smell. smell the honey pretty. Yeah, I I'd say there's pretty strong honey. Right, well, cheers. Let's try this out. It's got so, more of a bite than other Irish whiskeys I've had. Like, it's, it's maybe not like a... A shooting Irish the, whiskey. Uh, sipping. <laughs> it has a has a smoky flavor. Mm-hmm. Not like an Irish whiskey. Not like a Scotch. More like a like an American bourbon. I know. I remember. It, it kind of tastes a little like Buffalo Trace. If you've ever had that. It's yeah. It's a it's a milder Buffalo Trace. Mm-hmm. Like kind of. But much smoother. Much 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 smoother. much smoother than yeah. And like we we like Buffalo Trace too. But you know, just comparing differences, this is much smoother. <laughs> The 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 it's smells also, the smells really nice actually. The smell though. is nice and it's a darker color. It's more of a darker caramel color than some uh, Irish whiskeys. Yeah, yeah, like if you're used to Jameson, like everybody knows what Jameson. Yeah, actually, Bushmills like. is very light. Yeah, Bushmills is very light. This mm-hmm. is, yeah, this is a little darker. Ooh. I um, and we did put ice in it. I think that's important to note because as you're tasting these things, ice um and whereabouts on your tongue matter and that kind of thing. So yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty good. I would I would drink this again. It's definitely a sip. I wouldn't say no. Yeah, I wouldn't say no. Definitely. Um, I don't know. I guess when I think of Irish whiskeys, it's usually just so so easy to drink. You know, it's it's just, it's very drinkable. Um, yeah. You know, you could even like just do a shot of it and. Yeah. I don't, okay. So this is like maybe folklore. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I heard that. Um, in one of those ancient languages, 
that the, I think it was Gaelic, that the word for whiskey and the word for water were the same. And I kind (laughs) of wondered if that was because, like, life-giving properties or or if it was uh, just because you had to put it in the water to disinfect it or something. So it could be functional or it could be, you know, fun or, you know, everything I just said could be uh, nonsense. Because I didn't look that up. I don't know. Or everybody's just having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Yeah, Sexton, um, Sexton Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey was good. Yeah, um, if you and li- if you burn like burn bones. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Mancy's <laughs> fancy Mancy's. Yeah, so I guess that'll be it for us for this one. Um, and we'll obviously have our sources up. So if you do want to explore any mm-hmm. more of what we've looked at, you can do so. And um, and I'll you know obviously we always encourage everyone to branch out and do their own um research and looking yeah, around. Yeah, for sure. If you hear about something on the show that inspired you to learn more, we'll always be happy about that. Mm-hmm. Please write us an email and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find us. Uh, you can email us at sharprocksanddeadthings at gmail. And you will be able to find us uh, on all the social media platforms under mm-hmm. the same name. That's right. Yep. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. In our very first episode. I know. <laughs> Sharp rocks and dead things. <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody. Um, I'm Chris Weber. I'm Emily Siebold. And we'll see you again, young listeners. We'll dig you up later. (laughs) 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 We hope you've enjoyed this sneak preview of Sharp Rocks and Dead Things, an Anthro 101 podcast. And thank you so much for your support of Under the Pendulum podcast. And we ask if you could like and subscribe wherever applicable and give us a five-star rating uh, that really helps us get noticed. And we hope to see you again, dear listeners.